with him all his life, pondered through the seasons. Now, in his 15th year, crystallized with the pain of puberty. So, why'd you move here? My mom had to get a restraining order against my stepdad. He has emotional problems. Oh, I have those too. What kind of emotional problems does your dad have? I met a new friend. Real or imaginary? Wake up, Tony. Imaginary. I'm going to tell you a little story today about a young man whose life was completely destroyed by these instruments of fear. I haven't seen stuff. Donnie is experiencing what is commonly called a daylight hallucination. <laughs> I have to obey him. He saved my life. Have you ever seen a portal? Has he ever told you about his friend Frank, the giant bunny rabbit? The what? Like every living thing follows along set path, and if you could see your path or channel, then you could see into the future, right? I'm not going to be able to continue this conversation. Don't worry, you got away with it. What is going to happen? I only have a few days left before they catch me. Just gonna stop. You should already know that. And welcome, everyone, to a brand new episode of Ian Hates Movies. My name is Ian. And I'm Kelly. Kelly, this is a momentous day in Ian Hates Movies history, I think. <laughs> Do you not agree? You're looking up, you're looking to the side. I'm very excited to, to hear you talk about this, because I know how much you enjoy it. Well, what movie is it? What are we going to be talking about today? Bubble Boy. Yes. <laughs> I love how he goes around in a bubble. And then learns that he doesn't have to be in said bubble. Spoiler alert. I ruined <gasps> it. Oh, no. Oh. I ruined it. All right. Let's talk about something else. All right. Well, what's Since an, you ruined it anyway. What's an easier movie to understand than Bubble Broke Boy? Back. <laughs> what a weird. <laughs> <laughs> I see the transition there. <laughs> For a second, I was like, wait, what? How does. Oh, <laughs> yes. He was in that, too. I got it. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. All right, well, what's an, what's an even easier movie to digest than that movie? I really wouldn't put this movie in the easy digest column. Hence my joke. See how I was working there? Worked very well, it's right? It's like day after tomorrow. I mean, we could keep going. Prince of Persia. City Slickers. Jarhead. <laughs> well, here's a little hint for people. I know, we, I mean, I've been putting out clues and hints for a little while now on social media. But I think one of the most interesting things you can say is if you listen to the previous volume of Ian Hates Movies, where we did my second favorite movie, which is Scream, it shares a common actress, which I'm 
a little surprise that I did not put together myself <laughs> before. And I'm really not a fan of hers. I don't so find it's her a closet Drew Barrymore fan. Okay. No, I don't find her attractive. I don't like yeah. her in pretty much everything she does, except for these two movies and ET. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not gonna <laughs> let's not discount a classic and everything, but in, or maybe Poison Ivy too. Poison Ivy as well. Right. Yeah. Not Poison Ivy too. <laughs> Unless that was the one. Was that the one with Melissa Milano? I think there was one with Jamie Presley too. I don't know. Those Good are all Lord. sexy. They're all sexy movies, though. So well, we won't discount those either. But I've talked about it many, many times on the show. I'm sure it's not a surprise to people, but it works perfectly because we are recording this episode on October 30th. Plays perfectly into the timeline of the movie Donnie Darko. Woo! Woo! That's right. Finally, we are talking about my all-time favorite movie. And I have, oh, told, yeah. I have told many a people that, and many a people have looked at me very weird and have gone, what, the one with the giant bunny rabbit? And then I slapped them across the face. But that's a separate issue. I, I've done my time. I have moved on. <laughs> now, Kelly, this wasn't your first time seeing Donnie Darko, correct? It's my first time in a very, very, very long time. Well, yes. And I'm surprised about that. I would assume that when everyone sees this movie, they realize how great it is and continually watch it the same way I do. Right. But that's probably not true. Like I've seen Scream over 200 times, I have seen Donnie Darko over 200 times. And you might ask, what else do I have to do with my life? It's that and podcasting. So really, the time fits in. It works out kind of fine. Yes and no, but I mean, your dedication to Supernatural is also fairly epic, too. And if there weren't already shows about Supernatural. (laughs) And by the way, someone pointed this out to me. Did we talk about this on the show yet, about Supernatural, about watching it on Netflix? Have you ever gone back to watch previous episodes on Netflix? Yeah, I've done background, being honest, like background noise and stuff. Why? Did you realize that they don't have the rights to the songs that they originally had so now it's generic really? alt rock <laughs> yeah so it's not those classic awesome songs that dean puts on in the car it's these weird alt rock songs that are shit yeah it's pretty That's funny funny yeah i know all of these things because i know most everything and that's why i am going to be so good at explaining donnie darko why it is so great, and also answering all of your questions, Kelly, about what was actually happening, because I'm still not sure you actually understand it. So we're going to get into right. all of that. <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited to, for you to be able to pull this off and be a podcast without having any visuals to be like, see, so over here, no, very this true. person's actually not here, and really they're over here in both dimensions twice, which is what is going to screw up the whole thing. And by the way, that never happens. There is no both dimensions twice. There's only one tangent universe and one primary universe, primary universe. so don't worry about that. That's one right. thing. We're already going to get through that. Let's at least give a little background before we start. Donnie Darko came out in 2001. And then Donnie Darko, the director's cut, came out in 2004. So those are the two things you have to know right away. Now, I have, of course, watched both many, many times, as I mentioned before. I have also watched them with the director's commentary. One of the reasons why I have multiple collections of Donnie Darko movies between Blu-ray and DVD and all that is because on the 
director's cut, it's Richard Kelly who writes and directs and Kevin Smith. Now, he's commenting without seeing the director's cut because obviously that's what they did for the movie and everything. But it was interesting to hear two directors talk about this movie. That's why I have more insight possibly than not internet people. Lots of internet people have all the same insight as I do. But at least for this podcast, for this show, I'm going to be going back to what they have said as well because that's also interesting. And one of the interesting points that I had completely forgotten about is one of the reasons why Donnie Darko, besides being a movie that is very hard to explain to people, it came out a month after September 11th. Right. So not a whole lot of people were going to the theaters and wanted to see a movie where a jet engine crashed into a house. Eh. I mean, remember that time period. There was a lot of weirdness and a lot of things going on that people didn't want to deal with. True. So that was an interesting point. And then a lot of people have, or they were mad, or the reviews haven't been positive for the director's cut. They've called it like hand-holding. You know what I mean? Like maybe it's explaining too much. But since he wasn't allowed to go into everything he wanted to do in the first cut of the movie, he considers the second the director's cut to kind of be like just a remix. It's just an added little bit to the movie. It's not supposed to change your perception or anything, but to give you more knowledge that he was trying for in the first, but he was given a time restraint. So now, Kelly, do you have a favorite out of the two? If you had to pick one to watch, is there a favorite you have? Um, I would definitely say you'd want to watch the director's cut first to get a, just a full grasp. It's one of those movies where you can't really look away from it or you're going to you're going to have to rewatch it because you really need to pay attention to this. Um, so at least with the director's cut, you, you don't have to be as involved. And then with the second one, it's you can see what they're going for. Or, well, the first one, the non-director's cut, the actual one, the theatrical release. So that's well, my opinion on it. Well, that's a fine one. I mean, that's like, it's like having the solution and working back through the problem. Right. Now, I would... I would recommend watching the original first because then you can make more of your idea of what you think is going on. And then in the special edition, you get more added things so you can revise that theory. But that's just the way, since I did it originally that way, that's why I'm saying go ahead and do it that way. Either way is going to work. It's just kind of one of those things of do you watch the movie first or do you read the book? Because maybe you want to get an idea of what the characters look like in your own head before seeing the movie Or if you see that movie character, will that be the person you think about as you're reading? Yeah, I mean, that's just, I mean, it's the whole, do you see the tree before the forest or do you see the forest? Like, it's just two different ways people go about dealing with these things. So let's also note, before we get into everything heavy, it has 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. And an 8.1 out of 10 on IMDb. Yes. It's not the highest Rotten Tomatoes, because I think, like, Civil War and Winter Soldier or something had... Oh, yeah, in any kid's movie, apparently. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Right. That's very, very true. I mean, are we going to just jump into explaining that this is a time travel movie? Or how do you want to... Or how would you categorize this movie? Because I don't really call this an angst movie, because it is, but it isn't. (laughs) I'm going to agree with Kevin Smith and say that this is a love story, first and foremost. But then there are elements of time travel... And I'm going to say leaning more on the psi instead of the phi. And that's actually a direct quote from the commentary because I really like that one. Because it's true. Not so much in the first, in, in the actual cut, not so much in that one, but in the director's cut, they 
very heavily rely on the sci on that scientific angle because they do a lot with computer noises and computer screens and all this kind of stuff because Richard Kelly is trying to go ahead and show you that there's more than one possibility for what's going on and what initially started the issue in the first place. Right. And that is not part of the original cut at all. So you have to know that. So that's why this one kind of opens up more theories than the original. Let's also make a note about Richard Kelly. So Richard Kelly wrote and directed this film. Now, unfortunately, I had very high hopes for him. And he does mention in the commentary with Kevin Smith that he's very worried that he'll never be able to outdo what he did in Donnie Darko. And Kevin Smith is a super nice guy, obviously. And he's like, oh, no, you know, I, I read Southland Tales script and I think you've got more in you and all this kind of stuff. He really hasn't been seen from since 2009. Uh, that was his last. He did the screenplay for The Box, if anyone remembers that movie. That sounds familiar, but it's not, like, forefront at all. If I'm not mistaken, I believe it's the one where Cyclops and Cameron Diaz are given a box by a mysterious stranger that has a button. And they say, if you press the button, someone in the world will die, but you get a million dollars or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, I never saw that movie. I heard nothing but bad things about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Then I did see Domino. He did the screenplay and the story for Domino and then Southland Tales. And Southland Tales was, talk about a crazy movie that you really don't understand. It's that movie. (laughs) But I would recommend seeing Southland Tales because of how fucking nuts it is and how many famous people they have in it. It, And it just doesn't make any sense. It's a very strange movie. But really, I'm going to say personally because I'm going to talk passionately about this movie being my favorite movie, he never outdid Donnie Darko. And unfortunately, I don't think his career ever got back on track afterwards, since he hasn't been seen or heard from since 2009. Hmm. Which is a shame, because I think he's a talent. I think he's very talented, you know. But that's just an interesting little side note about Richard Kelly, because if you go ahead and look it up, watch some of these movies, but I, Domino was not a good movie, I didn't think. The Box, I couldn't watch. And then well, South I mean, The Lentils. Box is just, a, a, you know, it's a dumbed-down version of, like, Schrodinger's cat. Like, it's one of those, if I look in the box, is the cat dead, or is the cat still alive? Like, it's that kind of, that's all it's playing yeah. off it's of. It's a Twilight Zone episode yeah. thing. Hey, don't make faces at me. Let's start off this way. So let's read through some of the characters of the movie so at least people will know who we're talking about. Jake Gyllenhaal is Donnie Darko. Jenna Malone is Gretchen Ross. You've got Rose Darko and Eddie Darko, which are Donnie Darko's parents. You've got his actual real-life sister, Maggie Gyllenhaal, as Elizabeth Darko, his older sister. And then you've got Samantha Darko, which is his younger sister. He's got two best friends, Ronald and Sean, and then there are two major bullies. One is called, by the way, this is kind of funny, one is called Seth, and that's played by Adam Greenwald, who is the lead singer of the band Phantom Planet. But then you've also got another bully called Ricky, and that's actually Seth Rogen. So you've got two, I don't know why they didn't just switch the names and have Seth be Seth, but that was Seth Rogen's very first movie. And I think those are... That was during Freaks and Geeks then. Or right before, 2001. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it might have been during. It might have been right after. Because that was only one season, right? Yeah, I believe so. Right. Then you've got Noah Wiley is one of his teachers, Dr. Monotov. And you've got Drew Barrymore, who's Karen. Who's the English lit teacher. And I think those are the major characters besides you'll hear about Roberto Sparrow later. And there are a couple ones. The <laughs> Kitty. <laughs> Whatever teacher she is, I still don't even really know the religion Gym teacher. Gym teacher. Gym teacher that's teaching weird ass fear well, and no, love no, and because yeah. we had no 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 because we had our gym some of our gym teachers also taught like health. Ah uh, okay. So it's part of that. So yeah, Kitty Farmer. Okay, so those are those are the people you need to know, and I'm gonna try and do it more by character name than actual actor name while we're talking, so we're not getting all confused. Okay. The movie starts off with Donnie waking up over this pristine community, a very nice uh, sunrise. And he wakes up, and one of the things you're supposed to notice right away is he kind of, once he realizes where he is, he kind of smirks. He's got kind of this smile that comes across his face, like he knows something. This is part of a theory that I have for the movie beginning. What's going to happen is he gets woken up at night by Frank, who is a teenager who's dressed as a large, scary bunny rabbit. Most of the time, when you ask someone about Donnie Darko, they're going to think Frank. They're going to think that picture of the giant bunny rabbit that they saw in the promos or you know the case, whatever it happens to be. That's what right. they're going to go with. So he is woken up in the middle of the night. He goes outside, leaving his room. And when he leaves his room, a jet engine falls down into basically the whole house, but it really would only hit his room and only have the ability to kill him, even though the rest of his family is in the house at this point in time. Yes. Now, many people believe that the tangent universe occurs at that moment when the jet engine falls. I am not one of those people. I think he's already in the tangent universe when you see him in the first scene of the movie. So you're saying that his realization when he wakes up is him recognizing that he's in that tangent universe then? Yes, I think he's in a time loop. I think he's in a Groundhog's Day situation. Okay. And there are a few reasons why I think this, and I will bring them up as we get to them. (laughs) Does that work? Do you want to do it a different way? Yeah, no, no. Sounds great to me. So Frank tells him that in 28 days, 6 hours, 42 minutes, and 12 seconds, the world will end. Now in this situation, that world is the tangent universe and the primary universe. So what Kelly and I possibly are in right now and what the audience is possibly in right now is a primary universe. We don't necessarily know that. But in general, we're going to assume that we're in a primary universe. At some point, there's an artifact that can be brought into the primary universe that's not supposed to be there, which will create a tangent universe. So you can think of it as a Back to the Future reference of when he's drawing on the chalkboard and they went back in time and then they skew it to make a different Reality because the or, artifact is the almanac, which is brought back to a reality that it shouldn't be in. Eh. Yes. No. Uh, that's what skews it. Yes. Well, actually, I'm not even going to say no because I think, especially Richard Kelly, likes to allow people to have all their theories. So that's fine. But 
the reason why he mentions now look i'm gonna read from the cards i'm gonna read from the cards that they have in the director's cut because they specifically mention that the tangent universe so chapter one the tangent universe the primary universe is fraught with great peril war plague famine and natural disasters are common death comes to us all the fourth dimension of time is a stable construct though it is not impenetrable Incidents when the fabric of the fourth dimension become corrupted are incredibly rare. If a tangent universe occurs, it will be highly unstable, sustaining itself for no longer than several weeks. Eventually, it will collapse upon itself, forming a black hole within the primary universe capable of destroying all existence. Right. But then you go into the artifact and they make a point of reference that metal and water are what the artifact has to be made of. So if you're saying the almanac is one, that's not necessarily what they're going for in there. But I like the idea of what you're going with. Okay, I'm, so I'm then if we're, no, if we're going with that then, so what it is is when he goes, when old Biff goes to the future and his cane breaks off and is left in the DeLorean, then there's your metal artifact and that's where it actually skews. That's good. And it's brought up in the movie. Donnie Darko specifically brings up Back to the Future. So you are correct about that for sure. Now you you have to explain your like don't tell me I'm right glances that you're giving. <laughs> you have to explain that to the audience. Because I'm not trying to talk down to you. I'm trying to no, I know talk about all of the and that's what's nice about this movie and that's one of the reasons why I love it so much is you can have it there. You can your theory at the end of this movie can be it was all a dream. You can easily make that. That's such a cop-out. No, it's absolutely a cop-out. But if people don't want to think about it, they can just say, oh, he was dreaming. That's yeah, all. I feel like those people shouldn't be attracted to this movie to begin with. And they probably aren't. No. Yeah. yeah. What I also love about this movie is we're going into depth for people that might not understand what's going on in the movie, which is a lot of people. But if you take this movie for face value of the writing, acting, story itself, that's fine. That makes it a great movie like i don't see anything and i'll ask you kelly is there anything wrong with the writing the directing the acting is there anything that you didn't like i mean there's personal preferences but it's not any there's nothing wrong with the film i mean yeah teenagers curse and say fuck a lot does it get annoying because you're like yeah i need something slightly more intelligent to come out of your mouth yeah but those are teenagers so it, i mean that stays with the story of the movie wait what are you talking about the the smurfette talk that we're gonna get to no i love this oh okay talk. i'm just talking in general they use it like every other word and i'm like really but that is i didn't curse that much when i was a teenager oh i like, did seriously i did well, shocking yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> but look the world is my canvas and i <laughs> And I paint with bold colors. So there that's, you go. But that's that's something I've brought up on the show multiple times about movies that are rated R when you're being chased by a major serial killer, Jason, Freddy, whatever it happens to be. Why aren't you telling them, fuck you, like all the time? That's what I would be doing. So this movie speaks to that because it's a rated R movie that has no nudity or anything like that. But they speak the way I think normal people speak. Yeah, but see, I'm going to disagree with you on that. I feel oh, like because no. it has the rated R flag, it's it's like South Park getting was able to say shit on TV, so they said it 200 times. Like it just because you can doesn't mean you need to pepper it in everything. No, but 
let's also remember since Richard Kelly is writing in the 1980s, so its movie takes place in 1988. 88. He's writing about what he knew. And as a teenager at that time, that's how he spoke with his friends. So that's what I would say. Yeah, yeah. Just like if I was writing something, I would write the way I spoke with my friends. If right. you were writing, you might not have as many swears as I did. <laughs> that's kind of the way I look at it. True. When I, I remember watching the very first time and being like, wow, you know, Karen Drew Barrymore is way over the top as a teacher. You know, and like that would never happen. Like she would never have a new student, especially a girl, come into a classroom. Not even in the 80s would this happen where a girl comes in a classroom and she goes, oh, you look like you belong here. Gretchen goes, where should I sit? Sit next to the boy you think is the cutest. Like that would never happen in real life. But as we're going to go into these manipulated people, people in this tangent universe, there's the manipulated dead and they're the manipulated living. Their goals subconsciously is to get Donnie Darko to perform the task that he has to in order to save the universe. So in order to get Donnie to get the confidence to know that Gretchen likes him, she looks at Donnie Karen realizes it and sits Gretchen next to Donnie. Now, Donnie knows that she's attracted to him and he can have the confidence to talk to her later because he has so many emotional problems that he probably wouldn't talk to her if he didn't know that. So all of this is leading to what needs to be done to get Donnie to do the task he has to, which is save the universe. Right. For me, I'm saying that he's in this time loop until he does what he's supposed to do at some point if he doesn't do what he's supposed to do that wormhole could be created that destroys both universes i just don't think he's at that point and that's why this might be the second time he's done this over this might be who knows right so whatever he did the last time didn't work at the end of this movie he does what he's supposed to do and he does save the universe yeah concludes the story and they bring it up later on too so that's what the director's cut does is it kind of sections off this movie into book chapters and it points out what's actually happening and what these names that's why i use manipulated dead and manipulated living because they're supposed to help the living receiver which is donnie darko right but the question that everyone will have as they're going through this is who's pulling the strings is this God or what they kind of focus you on a lot in the director's cut is did someone in the future, did someone in the future break the space time continuum and they're actually watching the year 1988 and that's why this unexplainable artifact comes through and disrupts everything and now they're trying to communicate with Donnie that he has to do certain things because the whole point of this is Donnie has to, through his superpowers that he actually has in this movie, he has to bring that jet engine from his mother's and sister's airplane that they're traveling on at the end of the movie. He has to bring that into the primary universe. That is the goal. So he's working back. It's almost like what you were talking about before. He's got the solved problem, but he has to work back to how the problem is written. Well, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So I have the answer in front of me here, but what's the question you're trying to get me to figure out? And that's what all the manipulated people are doing. 
They're trying to, that's what Frank is doing, that's what Gretchen's doing, that's what his teachers are doing, that's what his family is doing. They are trying to get him to follow that path of love. That's what they're doing, not follow the path of fear, follow the path of love. So horrible. I fucking love it so much. Oh my and god. I think and so Kelly and I are making reference to Kitty, the gym teacher, doing this whole project with a chalkboard that has fear on one side and love on the other and a long line between them. And they have to do this exercise where they read these cards and you're supposed to make a mark of where it lies. So Sharita Chen, who's a side character, goes up and she reads it. But she it's something fearful, so she puts a thing but it's not really fear. No. The whole the quote is... This is all moral decisions, and I don't think they're necessarily based by fear and love. They're based by a lot of things, which is what Donnie gets into. Yes, exactly. And that's such a great scene. But the reason why I relate to this, too, is because I know people like that woman. I've known them in my life. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I used to have a babysitter who was like her. Because at one point, she goes to meet Rose, Donnie's mom, to get her to go to L.A. for Sparkle Motion's dance thing. <laughs> We'll get into that, too. show. Oh, Uh, my God. So awesome. Sparkle Motion. Hey, sometimes I question your commitment to Sparkle Motion, all right? But when she goes to do that, she's wearing a T-shirt that says, God is awesome. And that used to be my babysitter. She used to have two kids that were completely (sighs) religiously brainwashed, and I had to hang out with them all the time. And that's what she... We were allowed 15 minutes of video games a day. And there was a timer placed by the video, so you could have five minutes at one, you know, and then you got five minutes later. Yeah, that was so, yeah, my life. No. Yeah, see, I had neighbors where I used to you know, go down and play with the neighbor kids, and they were overly religious. Like, they couldn't watch Disney movies because that had magic in them, and that's the devil's work. And I'm wow. like, these are Disney movies. Like, really? Okay, we don't watch TV at your house. Let's go play outside. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to read Chapter 4, The Artifact and the Living. When a tangent universe occurs, those living nearest to the vortex will find themselves at the epicenter of a dangerous new world. Artifacts provide the first sign that a tangent universe has occurred. If an artifact occurs, the living will retrieve it with great interest and curiosity. Obviously, that's when the FAA comes to explore because they don't know where this jet engine fell from. They don't know what it's from. So everyone is curious. And that's why there is a large gentleman that follows Donnie around in like almost every scene that he's in where there's a crowd watching him because they don't understand what's going on. Why did this happen? And why did this guy know to get out of his room at that time? So that's a side thing. Artifacts are formed from metal, such as an arrowhead from an ancient Mayan civilization or a metal sword from medieval Europe. Artifacts returned to the primary universe are often linked to religious iconography as their appearance on Earth seems to defy logical explanation. Divine intervention is deemed the only logical conclusion for the appearance of the artifact. Yeah, but I don't remember the jet engine looking like Jesus, so I'm, I'm confused by the... Do you remember the spiral on the thing? <laughs> no, but that's why, that's why it's many theories. Right. When Donnie goes to visit his therapist, Dr. Thurman... He brings up God, and they have a great conversation that still makes me kind of tear up a little bit. Donnie says that the search for God is absurd, and she says, why is that? Because he had had a run-in with Roberto Sparrow. She's nicknamed Grandma Death. It's a horrible nickname, by the way. Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) Which is a direct line from the movie as well. 
she comes up to him and she whispers something in his ear and you don't know at that moment what it is. And he explains it in his therapist's office. And he says that she says every living creature on earth dies alone. So when she's talking to him about it, she says, so the search for God is absurd. He says, it is if everything dies alone or if everyone dies alone. Right. And that's a really great line. And it is the question or the problem that a lot of people have with religion in general. And we can mention that the reason why he's in a therapist to begin with is because he has had troubles in the past. He burnt down an abandoned house and he's always had like some sort of anger issues. Yeah, but it's funny that they're, they're putting him in this box that it's actually some sort of mental disorder when they actually tell you that he's got an extraordinary IQ and most of those people can't handle social interaction because it's kind of like you get in it you get stuck in a cage with monkeys i mean that's going to drive you nuts too because i mean most humans are stupid and that's pretty much what this boils down to so you act out in different ways this is like the kid who's in the class who really should be bumped up four or five grades who's just not entertained so he finds ways to entertain himself and what's even worse technically is he was held back too right so now he's even smarter than all the people that he's around (laughs) as well and he's going to a rich private school it seems like too yeah so they probably could have afforded to let him go do whatever but this is kind of where he's stuck so yeah of course he's going to act out a little bit and he is technically on medication and that's one of the more heartbreaking scenes as well towards the end of the movie when dr thurman is finally talking to his parents his parents are asking rose is asking his mom she's saying you know well what do you want to do like She's bringing up that he has an imaginary friend named Frank. When she says to his mom that she wants to up his medication, you can like see her heartbreak a little bit because she doesn't know. She's losing her son. She doesn't understand what's going on. Right. And I mean, since this was 1988, this is just speaking towards, I mean, that's when all that, so this is when everybody started getting on Ritalin and getting put on all these drugs and all. And it's, you're not understanding your child you just assume that there's something wrong with them so i'm just going to make them a zombie as opposed to finding out what this is and either you know if they're hyperactive okay well then you need to put them in more activities like that's all that means i mean with our parents and the even older generations it's like okay well he was super hyper so i made him go outside and play like we didn't drug him but a note to be made here and they did not put this in the original cut But in the director's cut, you find out that his medication is placebos. She doesn't even tell his parents that. Right. But the medication is a placebo, which is interesting as well. So she's not a terrible... No, no, no. She's not a terrible therapist. She's experimenting on him, seeing where this will go. A little bit, yeah. Because in the 80s, they really know a whole lot about this stuff. And especially with how crazy Donnie is that sometimes it, you know... Right. And also, she is kind of there a little bit, even though there are serious moments with Dr. Thurman. There's also the fun parts, too. She gets him into all the weirdest situations because she'll hypnotize him. And at one point, she hypnotizes him and he starts talking about sex and Christina Applegate. And he puts his hands down his pants. So she has to wake him up. And he wakes up in that state not knowing why his hands are down his pants. (laughs) Right. And then at another point. That's not terrifying. Right. At all. Uh, Yeah. And then he goes through this whole, like, breakdown of you know frank's gonna end the world and all this kind of stuff and she has to wait and she's hugging him and then she has to wake him up and he wakes up not understanding why they're hugging on the ground yeah and why am i holding a stuffed animal what the hell did you do (laughs) 
Like, this is just has pedophile written all over it. Why are my hands in my pants and why am I crying? Like, what'd you do? Uh, that's pedophile, not, not pedophile. Sorry, I just watched the IT crowd the other day again. Uh-huh. <laughs> what a great fucking episode that was, too. Anyway, by the way, bringing up pedophiles, there is one in this movie. We didn't even talk about Jim Cunningham, who is... One of the best dancers ever. Oh, I was going to say one of the best bouncers ever, but... Oh, true, true. Does that, Did anyone get the hint? Does anyone know? Kelly, what is it? Do Patrick it. Swayze. Yeah, woo! This was a completely different role for Patrick Swayze. <laughs> he does a very good job as that motivational speaker who puts out a book called, like, Attitudinal Beliefs. And it's him with, like, all these stars, like, red stars behind him. And then they... <laughs> Kitty plays that horrible, horrible. video. <laughs> horrible. I'm not afraid anymore. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, but it, you almost see the and the more you know. Like, it was yeah. that kind of, absolutely. With a bunch of horses neighing in the background <laughs> that, they, that they didn't cut out. It's, it, it's almost like a weird reading rainbow kind of skit where you're like, where is this going? It's so weird, but it's so great. So yeah. wonderful at the same time. In order for Donnie to figure out what he's supposed to be doing, he has to do certain things. So Frank tells him at one point to flood the school. He gets this dream, this vision that he should flood the school. So he goes there and he takes an axe. And that's one of the famous pictures or images from this movie as well. Is he takes that axe and he busts the water main. And then they have this huge, weird bronze statue of a mongrel, they call it. And he leaves the axe indented in the head of the mongrel. And underneath, he spray paints, they made me do it. Right. Now, people don't understand what that meant, that they made me do it, is the whole manipulated living and dead. He's being told these things, and that's why he's doing it. So that's why he said, they made me do it. Now, what the living receiver is supposed to be able to do, since he's basically a superhero, he needs to learn that he has these powers. So specifically, he can have the power of telekinesis. He can have these abilities. So he has the ability to conjure fire and water. So in this moment, there's no way that water main should be flooding that much in that school. So sure, it's a busted water main, but he has conjured that much water. Normally, that would have like flooded the basement and then an automatic valve would have shut something off. Right. As soon as you lost the water pressure in it, it wouldn't have continued to flood like that anyway. Right. But because it's him doing it, he realizes slightly, hey, I have this ability and I'm not going to get caught. Because he floods the school, that allows him to walk Gretchen home. (laughs) By the way, they are right next to Jim Cunningham's house, too. She lives right across from him. So that's something to note for later as well. But that also has one of my favorite dialogue moments because this movie is filled with great dialogue in my opinion basically what happens is donnie's walking home because they find out school is canceled and he passes gretchen and the two bullies so obviously she doesn't want to be near the bullies you know she already finds him attractive as we know so she asks him to walk her home (laughs) and as she's walking back she says hey don't look so freaked and he's like no i'm not but you should check your backpack because those guys like to steal shit By the way, that sets up something for later that Mm -hmm. you need to know. So as they're walking, it turns out 
that Gretchen is not her real name. You never find out what her real name is, but she had to move there with her mom because her dad has emotional problems. And as soon as she says that, he's just he's so excited. He's like, oh, I have those too. What kind of emotional problems does your dad have? He stabbed my mom four times in the chest, and he's like, oh. Okay. Oh. oh. Yeah, no, I, don't. I burned shit to the ground. I'm sorry. Yeah, he goes through the whole, you know, why he got he can't drive until he's 21. He got held back a grade. He talks about that. And at the end, she calls him weird. And he starts, he's like, oh, and he, you know, sorry. And he starts to walk away. And she's like, that was a compliment. And you're like, oh, she likes him. That's great. What a, what a great teenage way to give someone a compliment. True. And then he just goes for it. He's like, you want to go with me? Chuckling. <laughs> he's so nervous. He does such a great job with that. And she's like, "What? go where? <laughs> go where? He's like, You're walking me home. Like, I don't understand. Yeah. And he goes, oh, well, that's what we say here. Like, you want to go with me? You want to, like, you know, girlfriend, boyfriend is what he's saying. Yeah, dating. She's like, and she, like, kind of steps into him kind of and goes, yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> and then she goes and she walks home. She starts to walk to her house. And he goes, hey, where are you going? She goes, I'm going home. So fucking good. I fucking love it so much. But so that's one of the, like, let's say missions Donnie has to do to show that he's getting more confident. Plus, Gretchen turns out to be a manipulated dead. So you'll find that out later on. Hopefully you've watched this movie and we're not just explaining this for you. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Well, if any of the haters out there already know, we spoil everything. So as soon as we tell you what the name of the movie is... Either if you haven't watched it or you don't want us to spoil it, you probably shouldn't listen to the podcast initially. That is true. And by the way, if any of the haters out there have any questions about this or have your own theories, you can email me, ianhates at gmail.com. Right. So, Chapter 7. The manipulated living are often the close friends and neighbors of the living receiver. They are prone to irrational, bizarre, and often violent behavior. This is the unfortunate result of their task which is to assist the living receiver in returning the artifact to the primary universe. The manipulated living will do anything to save themselves from oblivion. You can think of the bullies, too. At one point, the one bully gets blamed for flooding the school, so he's got a switchblade, and that's Seth. Yeah, he takes the switchblade out, and he kind of chokes Donnie and puts the knife right up to his thing, and then, you know, it's just showing him. They're, they're trying to push him in that direction, Right. Of what's supposed to happen, what he's supposed to do. So another thing that he finds as well is as he's walking around, and at this time, all the sprinklers are on in front of Jim's house. Again, water. When he does this, he's walking by and he finds the wallet outside of the house. And he sees the driver's license and realizes that that's his house. You hear Frank say, now you know where he lives. Now I know we're going all out of different places from here. Yeah, it's fine. I do want to do, we have to talk about Smurfette. I just like that they went ahead and got the permission to do this. That the creator of the source was like, yeah, cool, why not? Technically, it's in Smurf lore anyway, so yeah, you can totally cover it this way. Did they have to get permission? Because I know... Oh, yeah, no, they got permission from him. I know the creator said, I believe this is true, the creator said, Donnie got it completely right. Like, yeah, that's, no, that's it's exactly in Smurf lore. Right. All right, so... The fun part about this scene is, and one thing people might not know completely because there, there's so many things going on. You know, they're by Roberto Sparrow's house. 
And Roberto Sparrow, as you know, likes to walk back and forth to her mailbox. You learn way more about her in the director's cut. So we will get into all that. They're kind of on a hill a little ways away from her house. They're shooting bottles with a BB gun. And what you should notice right away, too, is Donnie's very good. And that comes into play later. If you notice, he's the one who's shooting and he's from far away hitting every bottle that's set up. So that's one thing to note as well. That's another thing on top of the, hey, those guys like to steal shit. All that kind of stuff will come into play. But there, his two buddies, Ronald and Sean, are talking about beer and pussy. That's all I need. Oh, teenage boys. (laughs) Yay. Pretty sure I said that last night. (laughs) That's only because Liverpool won. Yeah, it's true. If Liverpool wins, then I'm just like, beer and pussy, that's all I need. That's how we need to celebrate. (laughs) But yeah. Right. So they have this conversation where they're going back and forth about Smurfette. And basically saying that Smurfette is used by all the Smurfs and gangbangs and (laughs) all this stuff. It's so fucking good. They're talking about Papa Smurf, videotapes the gangbang, and then beats off to it later. (laughs) Donnie is just, and he says, Smurfs don't fuck. And that sets them off. Like, of course they do. This is what, you know, they're all fucking Smurfette. First of all, Papa Smurf didn't create Smurfette. Gargamel did. She was sent in as Gargamel's evil spy with the intention of destroying the Smurf village. But the overwhelming goodness of the Smurf way of life transformed her. And as for the whole gangbang scenario, it just couldn't happen. Smurfs are asexual. They don't even have reproductive organs under those little white pants. That's what's so illogical, you know, about being a Smurf. What's the point of living if you don't have a dick? And then Ronald says, damn it, Donnie. Why do you got to get so smart on us? Well, because you can't argue with that argument. You can't argue with that argument. It's true. No. And it is a perfect representation of the Smurfs. Oh, the 80s. Good times. So another main point after this is they notice that Kitty, the school teacher, gym teacher, is driving and almost hits Grandma Death and is very handsy with taking her off the road. She basically shoves her. Uh, just doesn't care about her whatsoever. Basically threatens, I think, to call the, like, to call an institution or something. Oh, yeah, adult Protective Services. Yeah. Ronald and Sean making fun of her because she's uh, like, oh, oh, got mail? No. You know, better look next time. Oh, let's try again. And Ronald says the final line, which is important. He goes, someone ought to write that bitch. And that does come in later. So there are lots right. of little things that are just very dialogue driven, but little nuances that you should pick up that are going to tell you what has the possibility of happening next. And once again, all these characters are leading Donnie to do something. Right. So one of the other things he has to do, after he has his blow up at Kitty over the fear and love, he tells her to shove the place card up her ass. Yeah, stick it up your ass, pretty much. And that's why I love the father in this movie a lot, because you don't get to see him. Yeah, (laughs) when... When the principal basically tells him, when Principal Cole tells, you know, his family, like, basically, Donnie, your test scores are intimidating. Like, he's saying how smart he is. He's like, what did you say again? And that's when Kitty breaks in. It's like, he told me to shove the exercise up my anus. And the dad just starts laughing. It's the same as at the beginning of the movie. They're having a family dinner. And Donnie's making these crass, snide comments about childbearing. At one point, his real sister, you know, Elizabeth, Donnie calls her a fuck ass. 
And then they go back. He's like, what's a fuck ass? And you can go suck a fuck. Right. Brother and sister stuff. And then, you know, the mom scolds them. You know, we won't have this talk at the dinner table. The little sister, Samantha, goes, what's a fuck ass? And the father laughs again. Like he's. Right. Yeah. Donnie calls his mom a bitch when she leaves the room. She tells the father and he goes, uh, you're not a bitch. You're bitching, but you're not a bitch. He's just that go with the flow, right. like great guy. And that's one of the scenes that I love in the director's cut because there's a scene with him and Donnie where he's basically telling Donnie not to care about what anyone thinks and to do whatever you want. And if someone doesn't like it, fuck them. Like, that's a great fatherly, like, real fatherly right. advice for something because of how much he loves his son. Just works very well. So one of the things he has to go and do, this is another one of his, like, confidence boosters. He goes to Jim's house, and he burns it down. But he burns it down where the basement is left intact. And what they find in the basement is a kiddie porn dungeon. Ooh. Quote. Quote. Right. Kitty porn dungeon. So again... He exposes this pervert, and he doesn't get caught. Right. So once again, showing, hey, you have the power here. You've got to do this. Now, he does this after he's in a movie. He goes to take Gretchen to the movie. He goes to see Evil Dead, and Frank shows up behind him, and they have a back and forth. Right now, Gretchen is asleep, and basically no one else is in the theater. Right. That's where he's also shown the house. It's actually Evil Dead gave it to him for free. And they let them morph it to show Jim's house and tell him to burn it down in the film reel. So in the scene, they have a back and forth where Donnie tells Frank to take off the suit. You know, they even have a great back and forth there where he says, why are you wearing that bunny suit? And Frank turns to him and says, why are you wearing that man suit? Right. Because he's more than a man in this situation, which is a very, very cool line. And then he tells him to take off. So when he takes it off, you see that Frank's, one of Frank's eyes, you know, it's bloody, it's dead, right. basically. And he asks, Donnie asks him, you know, what happened to your eye? And then he turns around and he smiles. And that's another clue that I believe he knows what happened because he's been through this before. Because right. Frank does not answer that question. And then Donnie smiles knowingly. And then Frank apologizes because Frank also knows what he does later on it's one of those things donnie also asks him when does this end and frank says you should know that already which is right. also another <laughs> see all these clues are what i tend to think that he's done this before the tangent universe was created when the artifact came into the prior or technically came out of the primary universe into the tangent universe like that's when it is created but I think that this is the some whatever number time around that he has to or he failed before or didn't know what he was supposed to do. And this is the time that he does know what he's supposed to do. Right. And what they say in another one of these chapters that comes up is they're setting basically an insurance trap. The manipulated dead will set an insurance trap. The living receiver must ensure the fate of all mankind. So right now, the manipulated dead is Frank. So he's setting all of these things in motion. Right. Donnie goes, burns down the house, gets away with it. But that sets another thing in motion. They have a talent show where Sparkle Motion, the dance troupe. Ed McMahon's Star Search, which was big in the 80s. Yes. 
they this is one of the I guess what satellite searches for it. Yeah, yeah. And Jim is hosting this event as well, and he brings out Sparkle Motion. Now Sparkle Motion is Kitty's like pride and joy, and the girls are led by Samantha Darko. Now the behind the scenes is that none of these girls knew how to dance, and they went through like a bunch of people that they had to hire, and they had to go like this was a really hard sequence to shoot, and then. They shot it to a different song as well that they couldn't get the rights to. So then they had to fit it into Notorious by Duran Duran. Lovely. No, Notorious. Oh, yeah. And this is at the point, I believe, where Donnie is burning down the house right now. Yes. Yeah. Because the other PTA meeting that they have about banning the Destructors book that Karen has them read in their class, that's when Donnie is... It's so hard to explain that scene, but it's like Frank's in the mirror and he's looking back at Donnie. At that moment, too, it's showing again that it seems like he knows what's going to happen to Frank's eye because he punctures the eye when he's doing it. Like he knows that's something that's going to happen. Right. Back to Sparkle Motion. By burning down Jim's house and exposing him as a pedophile, that means now that Kitty cannot take them to the competition in LA. So she has to go to Rose, Donnie's mom, and ask her to take them. Now at this point, Donnie's dad is traveling for business as well. So Rose is like, I really don't want to go. And that's when Kitty says, you know, sometimes I tell your your commitment to sparkle motion. (laughs) So now she has to take them. So that leaves the house open for all the scenes that are coming up next as well. Right. Another fun moment that we did not talk about was when Jim comes to the school to give his seminar. They have the different kids saying, you know, what's wrong? He's just saying, that's a product of fear. And just learn to love yourself and everything will be okay, which is the worst fucking advice you could ever ever give anybody. So Donnie gets up full of confidence. You know, he doesn't give a shit what he says or anything. And he plays along with what Jim is saying and then starts to make fun of everyone and at the end calls Jim the fucking Antichrist. Right. And gets taken out by by everyone and you know, everyone else is clapping, Gretchen's clapping, and they have another talk. And like I said, we're not doing scene by scene. But the whole point is you've got Gretchen, you've got Frank that are pushing Donnie in this direction, plus everyone else around him that is showing, hey, you need to do this specific task. Which we've stated multiple times. Right. All right. So now you have basically the final setup of everything. At one point in the movie also, there are these spears, these like almost watery spears that come out of people at one point that Donnie can see. I guess we should talk about Roberto Sparrow's book probably, right? Right. Because I mean that's going to loop all that into that. Yeah. Yeah, It almost looks like um, it's what you'd assume a wormhole would look like, I guess. It, oh, it, here we go. It looks like um, the T-1000, the liquid yeah, yeah, sure. Terminator. Yeah. A little bit more Terminator see-through right, without right. being mirrory. Yeah. Right. Right. Without it looking like metal. It's more of a wavy clearness. Roberto Sparrow writes about that in a book where Donnie goes and talks to Dr. Monotov, which is Noah Wiley. And Noah Wiley's great. If anyone needs to, like, I don't even care about the old, like, was he in ER or something? Yes. If you want to love Noah Wiley, watch this movie and watch Falling Skies because he is a badass in Falling Skies. True. <laughs> yeah. 
But now he's either dating or married to Drew Barrymore's character, Karen, in this movie right. as well. So they're both teaching at the same school. So he's the person that Donnie goes to to talk science. So he talks time travel because Frank brings up time travel when they're talking. So it is a big part at the end of the movie. So he has to talk through this stuff with someone. And who is he going to talk to? He's going to talk to the science teacher. Right. So these spears of water or whatever we want to call them, that's actually like your path. Donnie can watch them and see where people are going to go because it goes out, extends from their body and goes in the direction. And that's, you know, what they do. Their predetermined destiny. Yes. So he follows his into his parents' room and finds his dad's gun and puts that aside for himself. And that'll come into play later because we talked about how good of a marksman he is when he's playing right. around with the BB gun. Now, Roberta Sparrow, you learn way more about her in the director's cut. In the original cut, you just know her as the old woman who walks back and forth from the mailbox. And you know that she wrote a book that she used to teach right. at the school. Now, the director's cut goes into it a little bit more where, and actually the website at the time went into this a little bit more, to show that most likely Roberta Sparrow knew someone who has gone through the same thing that Donnie has. So she's been in a tangent universe that she remembered and now was able, that's why she used to be a nun. She quit the nunnery, went and worked at the school and wrote this book, The Philosophy of Time Travel. Now, that's the chapters that I've been reading from time to time. That's what the director cut goes through. This is something, actually, that Richard Kelly wrote. It's only, like, a, a few pages or whatever. But this is what he wrote for people to understand what the movie was about a little bit more. So that's an interesting thing, too, is that Roberta Sparrow is setting all this stuff up as well. Because she also, by telling him every living creature on Earth dies alone, she's trying to let him understand that that's not a bad thing. That that is his destiny and it's okay. Right. She's kind of a bigger part of this. And that's why they go through this with Dr. Monotop and he gives him the book. He also gives him the Stephen Hawking book, A Brief History of Time. And they talk through that. But when Donnie at one point starts to go too much into religion, Dr. Monotop has to stop him. He has, Or I think it's Doctor anyways. Mr. Mon I, I think it's, so. Yeah, I think it's Doctor. So he has to stop him. He says... I'm sorry I could lose my job by continuing. Now, you can take that as he's the manipulated living. He can't give Donnie all the answers. Donnie has to figure some things out for himself. You could take it that since Donnie is kind of getting a little agitated while they're talking, he's so smart he knows what Donnie's done in the past and is like, it's better to stop this conversation where we are now. You know, right. there's lots of, or he's, you know, atheist and doesn't want to talk about God, you know, whatever it happens to be. Well, no, but I mean, if you're working for a religious school, you can, it's a very thin line that you can tread when it comes to that. Because obviously you can't get into the discussion over, you know, if God's real or not in a religious school when you're hired to, I mean, it's part of it. You're, you're hired to promote this. So now I'm going to read chapter 10, The Manipulated Dead. The manipulated dead are more powerful than the living receiver. If a person dies within a tangent dimension... They are able to contact the living receiver through the fourth dimensional construct. The fourth dimensional construct is made of water. The manipulated dead will manipulate the living receiver using the fourth dimensional construct. The manipulated dead will often set an insurance trap for the living receiver to ensure that the artifact is returned safely to the primary universe. If the 
insurance trap is successful, the living receiver is left with no choice but to use the fourth dimensional power to send the artifact back in time into the primary universe before the black hole collapses upon itself. So that's what we're setting up right now. So now you have a Halloween party. It's October 30th. They're having a Halloween party at his house because his parents and his little sister are gone. Elizabeth has gotten into Harvard. So he's like, oh, we should celebrate. Let's have a party. What you also don't know in the original cut, you don't know this as well. But in the director's cut, you know it a little bit better. Elizabeth is actually dating Frank. Right. But you don't see them going out on a date. You hear her talking on the phone. You see he's got this nice red Camaro. I believe it's a Camaro. And... You see him actually at the beginning of the movie when Donnie is biking home. He goes past him in that car. And then in the first part before the or when the Tangent Universe is created, you hear him honking as Elizabeth gets back from a date with him. So he goes out to get beer. Gretchen comes over all freaked out because her house has been like ransacked. She doesn't know where her mom is. She thinks her dad has found them. And the police told her to go somewhere safe. Now, that is not anything that would ever happen. But because this is, once again, the manipulated living, so she goes to Donnie. As opposed to us putting you actually in protective custody. But whatever. Exactly. She goes upstairs with him. And she's telling him the story. And they end up having sex, which you don't see. Now, while this sex is happening, Rose calls the house and says, Hey, the girls did well. They're going to be invited for the next one. But we're coming home on the red eye. So this is what's bringing the entire story together is Donnie knows that they're coming home on that airplane and he has to get that jet to the primary universe. Right. So they have sex. They come back. And that was one of the sweeter moments in the movie earlier on was he goes to kiss her at one point and Gretchen's like, no, she pulls back and she's like, well, she says she doesn't know when she wants to kiss. And he says, you want to kiss when... It reminds you of how beautiful life can be. Right. And that's when she kisses him later on when the bullies make fun of her dad stabbing her mom. Right. So now they had sex at another moment where she wants to realize that life is beautiful. He starts seeing again the spears, those pathways coming out of people, and he decides to look into Gretchen's. And that's where he sees the time is now. Everything's lining up. We have to go. Now, Karen, Monotov's wife, who was teaching Donnie, you know, they have they have a bunch of stuff in the director's cut that shows her a little bit more. Like they go over Watership Down, which is a good little scene as well. When she was fired because of all the stuff that was going down with the school, she's blamed for, you know, the destructors and all that kind of stuff. Right. So she's let go and she writes the word cellar door on the blackboard. And Donnie asks her about that, and she says, well, that's the most beautiful phrase in the English language. Now, a lot of things have gone by that you're supposed to remember. So at one point, too, when they're eating and talking about Roberta Sparrow, and this happens, I think, in the original cut as well as the director's cut, and his mom mentions that she's loaded but lives in this you know, shitty house. She was known for a gem collection. And his dad also mentions that people used to go steal shit from her house which is again so he gets the friends he gets Gretchen they ride their bikes to the cellar door of Grandma Death's house when they go in they find the two bullies and they've you know got butcher knives and shit 
So they come out. Seth has Donnie down on the ground with the knife up to his neck. Ricky, who is Seth Rogen, tells the friends to get out of there. The friends run off. Do not help Donnie whatsoever or, or Gretchen. Oh, yeah. Now, Gretchen has been thrown on the ground, and she's kind of had the wind knocked out of her, and she's kind of calling for Donnie, but she can't get up. They see headlights coming towards them, and they think the police were called. Now, Seth is on top of Donnie, and Donnie says, what? Uh, yeah, it's Deus Ex Machina. That? D- Ex See, I forget. Machina. It's like Deus, right? Deus Ex Machina? It, it, it's not Something De- like that. Well, it's De- different. Deus yeah, Machina. Yeah. <laughs> but it means like, God of the machine or machine of God or something along those lines. Yeah, well, that's the whole lines. ex machina. Yes. And he says, our savior. And at that moment, Roberta Sparrow's in the middle of the road doing what she always does. She has to be in the middle of the road. That red Camaro swerves to miss her, but because they have to swerve, they end up running over Gretchen and killing her. Yes. So they spin. His friend, the clown, gets out. And then Frank gets out. And Frank has... The mask not on. Right. So Gretchen is dead. The bullies have run off. You only see Roberta Sparrow just hobble back. Now, remember, Donnie has now sent her mail. So that's something he also based on what his friend had said. You know, someone ought to write that bitch. Right. So in the director's cut, Roberta Sparrow says she kind of taps him and goes, Storm is coming. You must hurry. So she kind of finishes out her storyline there. In the original cut, you don't hear anything like that. You're just like, no. oh, okay, that's she's just there. But her purpose is for that reason. So Frank's pissed. He's like, why are you guys in the middle of the road? Donnie just takes the gun and bullseye shot right in that eye. Because once again, you know he's a good shot. This is all set up. Then he tells Clown Boy to go home and tell your parents everything is going to be okay. Once again, hinting that he knows what he's supposed to do. Right. Yeah, and there's no reason to shoot him. So right now, in that scene, you've got two very important characters that become the manipulated dead. And that's why they're able to help him throughout this loop of time, if you want to call it that. Because Frank is able to travel back and help him because they're both very powerful. Gretchen is the reason why. This is the insurance trap. If he lets the world continue or a wormhole, then everyone... She'll die. His family will die. All these things will happen if he doesn't fulfill that destiny that he has to do. So he travels back to his house. He puts her in the Subaru, like the the station wagon or whatever that they have. And he drives back basically to the same location that the movie started from. And at that moment, you're seeing this weird wind tunnel, black cloud, something come out of the sky. Yes. And the cops are also going to his house. But, of course, they're not going to catch him. So he gets up there and he starts laughing again. And using his power, most likely telekinesis and control, he rips that jet engine from his mom and sister's flight coming back. Because you see them and you see the alarms start going off. Now, it's not saying that they're going to die in that crash. They're going to be able to land. But that's where the jet engine comes from. So that's bringing that artifact back into the primary universe. And then they go a little bit more depth in the director's cut of a complete rewind because this is the time travel part is now they're going all the way back for 28 days, 6 hours, 42 minutes, 12 seconds. They're going back to that point. And they make it a little bit more robotic computerish 
in the director's cut once again. They show a lot of eyes with robot like computer things and weird sounds and everything to show that this could be a god or this could be future people who have disrupted the space-time continuum and now they're watching Donnie and making sure that Donnie does what he's supposed to be doing to set everything right again. It's just the red pill or the blue pill. That's really what it comes down to. <laughs> Don't distill it that much. This is a much better movie. <laughs> this is a much better movie than that. But so now you come back from a picture of an eye with a skeleton that Donnie has in his room. And he's sitting there laughing hysterically. Now you can say he's laughing for many different reasons. He could be laughing because he thinks he woke out of a dream and everything's going to be fine. You can say he knows his purpose and that it's completely, he's happy now. He accepts it. Yeah. Knowing his fate, knowing that there probably is a God, knowing whatever you want to say, he's accepted his fate. He knows that he's saved everyone's life by coming back to this point and dragging the artifact to where it's supposed to be. And that's why this movie's so fucking good. Now, I will say, it's not a guarantee for me that he had to die. I don't think that Donnie is the reason why the Tangent Universe collapses and doesn't collapse in a black hole and makes it safe. I think it's the artifact coming back. So if Donnie had gone ahead and got up and left his room knowing what's about to happen... I think he could have still lived in the primary universe. Hmm. That's my theory. So it is a little heartbreaking that he does decide, but maybe he realizes that the life he led in that universe gives him everything he needed and he's willing to sacrifice himself. Like there's no more point of him to continue. Exactly. Which is a little sad in itself, you know? and no i mean but it's one of those being hyper intelligent and knowing what your life will probably be as well this is uh, this is a better outcome for me and that's what he does so he comes back he does get crushed by the jet engine you can also say a nice little idea too that i liked was that car horn that you hear is basically frank like giving him a well done like we did it kind of like you know everything's good and then you get into mad world the song by Gary Jules, which is perfect for this next scene. Yeah. Like, I like all the music. Even the changes they made in the director's cut, I think were great. I like, And we didn't get into depth in the music because, look, you can just listen to it. We're not going to play all the music here. True. But Mad World was perfect for the scene because right now you get into another chapter of the philosophy of time travel. And that is chapter 12, which is Dreams. When the manipulated awaken from their journey into the tangent universe, they are often haunted by the experiences in their dreams. Many of them will not remember. Those who do remember the journey are often overcome with profound remorse for the regretful actions buried within their dreams. The only physical evidence buried within the artifact itself, all that remains from the lost world. Ancient myth tells us that the Mayan warrior killed by an arrowhead that had fallen from a cliff where there was no army no enemy to be found. We are told of the medieval knight mysteriously impaled by a sword he had not yet built. We are told that the things occur for a reason. So that's going back to when we mentioned the blade before, mentioned the arrowhead before. Right. So that's why he's taken out by the jet engine. But this whole scene where they're going through this is Dr. Thurman kind of worrying in her bed. It's almost like she has hints of memory. And then Frank 
they show him and he's just staring at his pictures of the drawings of what his Halloween costume is going to be, which is Frank. And at the end, you see him put up his hand towards his eye that was shot. You see Jim there on his bed crying and bawling his eyes out. Now, on the website, they mention that Jim takes his own life. So he does, for people that were worried that he doesn't get his comeuppance, he does. And then you have other people. Some of them will remember slightly. Some won't remember, but some will have feelings of what might have happened. Kitty is sitting there on the bed and, you know, probably thinking she went on the wrong path from love. (laughs) Horrible. Horrible, horrible. But that is a great moment, too. So that's why I would say I think the theory of saying it's a dream isn't correct. I think there is time travel. I think there is more going on. Whether is it God's will? Is it something that God set up? Is it something that future people set up by accident or on purpose to see what would happen if they created a tangent universe? And will someone get like superpowers to be able to help? And will they choose the right path? Or you can debate whether he's been in this time loop before and this is the time that he gets it right. I think those are the debatable things. I don't think you can say that they were in a dream. I think that's a cop-out. Yeah, it's for people who can't explain away or don't want to take the time to explain away, it's easier to just be like, eh, it was all a dream. So one of the last scenes they have is Donnie is being stretched out. His family is crying. Maggie Gyllenhaal looks the way she does in The Dark Knight. Most movies. But um, sh- So they're all, they're all crying, except for their mom. Their mom is in such shock. That she's just smoking a cigarette, which you never see her do. So I'm assuming she quit like a long time ago. Right. And then, and she might also have memories though too. She might be but dealing. I don't want to say this is shock. This is not shock. It seems a little like shock, at least to me. I think it's acceptance. Because it... I mean, she's saying through the entire movie that this isn't my kid anymore anyway. Well, and rem... now he's finally at peace. But remember though, she does have that nice scene. It might only be. I think it's only in the director's cut. But she has that little scene where he's like sitting with her. How does it feel to uh, be the mother of someone dysfunctional? Or, uh, and she, she's about to cry, and she's like, it's wonderful. Like she, right. you know, and they have that nice little moment. It might be acceptance. It might be knowing that her son saved the universe. It's a right. complete possibility. And to kind of further that in a second, their little neighbor is watching. This little kid is watching what's happening. And here comes Gretchen riding her bike down the street and she stops and she asks him, you know, like what's going on? And he says, you know, my neighbor Donnie was killed. Says it very strangely. My neighbor Donnie was killed. (laughs) He asks her straight up, did you know him? And she pauses for a second and then says no. And then looks over to the mother and waves to her. And the mother waves back. And then the last scene is the little boy realizing he should wave. Yeah, and he gives her a weird wave. It's almost like they're waving to us, the audience. That's how, right. it, that's how it seems. And then it's fade to black. But right there could be some acceptance because in the director's cut, you do see that they go and they trampoline together. So maybe at one point, Gretchen did meet his mom. There's no saying that that didn't happen. They just don't have any scenes for it. So it's a possibility that they do have a waning connection Plus, she might know, just being a mother, how much Gretchen meant to him from this little remaining figment of whatever happened. Yeah, Yeah, fleeting feelings or whatever. So that's the end of the movie right there. 
All right. So, Kelly, what did you think of that explanation? Is there anything else that you would like to discuss in terms of why something happened or did we miss anything major that we should also mention? Like, we did not go scene by scene. We made sure everyone knows the finer points and we quoted some you know, comments that were very funny, but the dialogue here is very good. The storytelling is very good. You should watch, if you haven't watched or it's been a long time, you should watch both movies and compare them because it is just a good movie. Like we went in, if anyone's going to do a show on Donnie Darko, they're not just going to talk about the basics. They're going to go into the theories of the movie because that's one of the reasons why the movie is so popular now. Well, no, that's just it, though. It's not a basic movie, so you can't do the basics on it. You would be doing it justice. And, I mean, I think we covered we covered everything. I mean, there's some small, like, little just stupid discussion things on why this was brought up or that it brought up. But the main core was completely covered, and I think we, we, did, we did a fine job doing that. Yeah, and I and think explaining I... it to the point when it comes to traveling and all that kind of stuff, how they all kind of crossed you and why these things need to happen. I doubt there can be a movie that will ever surpass Donnie Darko for me. This is my movie. It hit me. I don't even know if it was the perfect point in my life or anything. It was just one of those things where I'm not that indie guy where people are like, oh, you know, hey, I I like this because not everyone likes it. It's not that. This is that movie that just I love. I And I think is perfect. I don't think there's the music. If I ever hear the music in any other time in my life, it reminds me of the movie. There is right. nothing where I'm just like, oh, I wouldn't have done that. Like, oh, that character sucks or something. Like, of course, everyone hates Kitty because she's an annoying fuck, but she has to be an annoying fuck because those people exist. Right. Everybody knows that character. Everybody's right. ran across someone like that. Exactly. That's just my, my takeaway. That's why I was looking forward for so long to doing this movie. And it works because they have a Halloween party. Like, it fits into our. September and October. Way to close it out. Yeah, it's just a great way with my second favorite movie and my first favorite movie to just go on from there and we'll cover more shit movies after this, I'm sure. Of course. All right, so... Well, if I have anything to say about it, we will. Err. Err. All right, well, Kelly, is there anything you would like to say for this movie or would you like to plug anything? Um, Well, I still don't know what a fuck-ass is. Do you want me to explain it to you? (laughs) No, I think I'm good actually. No, please no, tell I me want how to know does, your explanation. <laughs> please tell me how does one suck a fuck? Lovely. <laughs> lovely, lovely. Um, yeah, I mean that's I mean, obviously no, yeah, I got nothing. There you go. Are those your final words too? <laughs> those are my final words. There you go. Oh yeah, you can always find me on Instagram at Nerdy Girl Ivy as well as on Facebook. And you can harass me and email me whether I read them or not is depending on how entertaining I find your comments. So exactly. there you go. And you've heard this spiel from me a million times, but it is very important. If you could take the time, rate us on iTunes, subscribe, share with people. That's how the word gets spread. We are going to be starting a contest, like I said, where we will not only read your comments on the show and talk about them, but we will also have a contest running for the best or, you know, however we want to do it. But just know that your work will not go Unappreciated. unappreciated yes yeah well Cost, your work i mean depends yeah. if it's if you entertain us we might send you shit i'm just yeah. saying your work will not go unappreciated that's that's probably a good way to put it uh, sure yeah. and then subscribe and do whatever on google play music stitcher whatever your favorite podcast listening app is you can always talk to me and interact 
Instagram, Twitter, at Ian Hates Podcast on Facebook, facebook.com slash Ian Hates. And then you can always stream everything for free, download everything for free on www.ianhates.com. Movies and music shows are all there, all weekly. So many episodes for you to go through. You're going to love it. Once again, please rate us on iTunes. You really don't know how much that helps us. That's how iTunes promotes things is mm-hmm. more ratings, more whatever. That's right. how we get higher on that list. So Sad to say it is a popularity contest, people. So let's get more popular. Yay! <laughs> yeah, that's the way to do it. I think I got everything covered there. We will continue, obviously. Now that we're going to be in November, we can do other things. We can do other movies. Doctor Strange is coming up. I'm sure we're going to end up doing that one. I watched a movie called Christian Mingle on Netflix that yes. we are not doing. So I'm just telling people uh, don't we'll watch it. We'll be covering it, it on, on Ian Hates Love. Yes, yes, yes. Just don't watch the movie. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> just don't. Just don't. It's just the worst part about it is it's not stupid enough to make fun of. That's um, the problem. Yeah, it just ended up being a like, wow, there's not even enough fodder for us to do a show on this. Just don't watch it. All right. I think we're done. So, Kelly. Do you want to redo your final words? <laughs> Do you have anything else? Nope, I'm good. All right, I'm going to switch it up a little bit. I'm going to end with my normal saying, but I'm going to first end with this. Dear Roberta Sparrow, I have reached the end of your book, and there are so many things that I need to ask you. Sometimes I'm afraid of what you might tell me. Sometimes I'm afraid that you'll tell me that this is not a work of fiction. I can only hope that the answers will come to me in my sleep. I hope that when the world comes to an end, I can breathe a sigh of relief because there will be so much to look forward to. Long days and pleasant nights. Thanks, everyone. 